Can you hear me? I can hear you. Perfect. Um, great. Let me see this real quick. What up, fam? This is Preston, and I've got my friend uh, Christina here. We met on Instagram. I even had to ask her whenever we got on the phone. Hold on. How do we meet? What, what was it? <laughs> but why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, Christina? Yeah. So my name's Christina Kimbrough, and I am a mental health advocate for um, obviously mental health and recovery from substance abuse. And I am a blogger. A blog. Got it. Blogger. Blogger. They said, she said, you, you cut out just. Oh, I'm bit. sorry. It's all good. It's all good. Um, well, hey, thanks for coming on. And one of the reasons why I uh, reached out to you and found you online is I always search hashtags like mental health, addiction, sobriety, and uh, you were doing some pretty cool stuff. So thanks for your service and thank you for uh, uh, being a voice out there. One thing that we um, try and navigate on the podcast is how do we break our anonymity or how do we share our experience, strength and hope with people and how early. And so you've got an interesting story. Uh, you've been sober a hundred and 35 days. Is that yep. right? Yep. That's correct. And you've got sober in your profile. What made you, what inspired you to put it out there that you're on this path to recovery so early? Yeah, such a great question. I, um, and this was something I debated a lot, right? So I am, and I am an active participant in AA and, you know, there's, I love the name of your podcast because anonymity, right? Um, so, so I very well aware of that, but I think for me, I, you know, I was a mental health advocate. So I was talking about that in a blog and podcast and speaking all the while drinking. Right. So, um, I just realized that after a month, I was like, I just feel like my, my followers have watched my growth. Um, but I feel like I was kind of lying to them. Right. And so, you know, I, um, yeah, I wrote a blog about being an alcoholic and dealing with, um, and how that was affecting my mental health. And I was in an outpatient program at the time and I just felt really good. And I I know there's a risk, right. That it is very early, but at the same time, I also follow a lot of accounts with people that have been sober for years. Right. And that wasn't relatable to me because I was like, I'm literally at like day 15, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like, you're telling me you've done this for 20 plus years. And I'm like, how the hell am I going to get there? Right. Um, so I kind of just wanted to do it in a different way. I didn't find many people like me. I wanted to document the early stages. I'm like, it's really, I use my Instagram as like a journal almost. Right. And so, yeah, I just wanted to kind of hold a space for people who were newly sober. What, um, how long you talk about, uh, mental health advocacy and and mental health work. How long were you on the, the road? Uh, with your mental health recovery and, and yeah journey. so um I was I'm 31 so I was 25 so about six years I um had a panic attack was dealing with some suicidal ideation and went to the hospital and received my first diagnosis and then so I am you can probably tell a talker by nature um I also have my bachelor's in journalism so communicating was just like a natural thing for me so yeah yeah sure. so I started sharing that openly at 25 that's awesome and I think that there is a um, there's a real through line between uh, mental health and addiction mental health challenges and addiction I went through something similar where um, 
I was having a hard time differentiating different drugs. In other words, I was, I didn't understand that using alcohol was just like using drugs. And so what I mean by that is a lot of people just like I was going, okay, maybe I'm a drug addict, but I'm not an alcoholic. There's so many people out there that say, you know, maybe I'm an alcoholic, but I don't struggle with mental health. And conversely, maybe I struggle with mental health, but I'm definitely not an alcoholic. And oftentimes those run, those things run parallel, like they're in the same thing. And that kind of, you know, as you shared, you were struggling or, you know, having some uh, uh, navigating mental health, meanwhile, drinking the entire time, trying to kind of figure out where did that you know, where's the do line? How does that, how does that affect each other? Oh my gosh. You just, you, I don't think I have to say anything, but you synthesize that perfectly. Cause yes. So I even did an outpatient program, right? Twice for mental health. For, for mental yeah, health. Yeah. yeah. And explain it just for the, for the listeners who don't yeah. understand what outpatient means. What, what does yeah. it mean when you say outpatient? So, okay. So out, so I've been hospitalized twice and once obviously it makes sense. Like you're inpatient, um, just like any other patient in a hospital outpatient is the option to not go to the hospital, like, and admit yourself, you know, to stay over. You just go, I went like probably three or four times a week for three hours. And so, and it goes for six weeks and you just learn a lot of skills, right? Like how to deal with mind yeah. with anxiety, dealing with anxiety and all that. Um, yeah, but you're, yeah, the interesting thing about that is, yes, I went twice. <laughs> I was drinking during all of it. And I'm like, why is my mental health not getting better? Why am I miserable? Right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that is a interesting thing because, you know, outpatient often there's, there's different levels, but you've got intensive outpatient, which it sounds to me like that's what you went to partial hospitalization, which is typically five days a week all day. Mm -hmm. And then you have inpatient, which is being locked in the hospital. And, you know, back when I got sober, I also went to an, uh, to a intensive outpatient facility. We call it like rehab after work Mm. or, um, IOP. That was the, the term, but, but back then there wasn't as much, um, of a build out, of services for mental health that it was really, you either saw a psychiatrist or you were like get locked in an inpatient facility. And now what we're seeing more and more often is they actually have outpatient for mental health and they don't always, they don't always address um, the drinking and drugs. It's not, it's not that they don't, but it's very easy when someone goes into outpatient for mental health to go, well, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not here because of alcoholism or drugs. I'm here for anxiety. Um, or, or they don't even know enough or maybe even the alcohol and drugs isn't a problem yet. You know, that's another kind of a, a, a thing. Did you experience something similar? Did you think you were doing something wrong? Did you not think it was an issue? What was your feeling? Yeah, uh, when you were absolutely. So I, hundred percent, I did not think I was an alcoholic by any means. And I struggled with that term for a while. Um, I knew, I, you know, I knew I drank probably more than I should. And I was aware that it affects the pills and blah, 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 you know, <laughs> oh you mean that disclaimer that says don't drink alcohol on these pills that, that thing yeah. yeah yeah and my psychiatrist many warnings and asking me if I drank and how many times and I totally lied um yeah 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if I was in denial. I don't know. I was just in a stage, probably denial, but I just, yeah, totally didn't equate the two. Did, did not think I was an alcoholic. My main problem was anxiety. And if I could get rid of my anxiety, I could drink like a normal person. Right. Do you think that, um, Christina, do you think that you were, were you drinking alcoholically in that? Was it really obvious to your friends? Was it, was it a thing where you said, I'm, you know, only going to have a little and you had a lot or were you still maybe in the stages of being able to control it in, in, you know, a relative sense of the word. Yeah. Um, you're right. I, mine was, I could control it. I mean, it wasn't good, but it, yeah, it was not like when I reached my point, my, I call it my low point or point, you know, where I want, wanted to make change was, yeah, I was every day. Yeah. So they were totally different. I, the progression of my disease wasn't as bad two years ago. Well, I think, too, that's important to point out because so many people think I, I always call it the, the, the two ends of the of the of the spectrum. Number one, you've got the people that never drink. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got your, you know, your fall down brown bag, homeless person that can't carry on a conversation or keep a job. And, you know, oftentimes we use those that that fall down drunk as a you know, as a way to basically go, well, we're not that bad. And I think for a long period of time in in a lot of people's life, they're able to have some resemblance of control. You know, they're able to, you know, they're drinking like everyone else, or maybe they black out a little bit, but it's no big deal. And maybe they, you know, have a little bit too much, but, you know, after a while coupled with some other things, um, you know, then we have the, 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 the space of, you know, losing control or hitting a low point or whatever. And it just it just depends. It's not like it's not like everyone has a problem immediately when they start drinking. Yep. Um, and so it's kind of like this idea of, of functionality. What was the um, when you talk about uh, anxiety, what was uh is there anything in particular that stood out for you when you first started struggling with anxiety, anxiety, or yeah. the types of things that, that kind of, uh, you know, made it, made it flare up, uh, with, you know, lack of a better word. Uh, what, what was your experience? Yeah. So I would say I have always had anxiety. I mean, not always, but since I was little and we just, you know, we didn't have the words. I graduated in 2007 and we still weren't really talking about mental health the way we do now. Um, and so, yeah, it was always pervasive in my life. Um, and I, you know, I grew up with some trauma in my background. And so, you know, that's, I'm sure that's all related, but it came to a head for me. Um, when I, yeah, I said I was 25 and I lost a job. My now husband was deployed. I was, you know, without him for nine months. Um, and I were, I got another high stress job and I just, I, I don't, yeah, I can't think of a better word, but I cracked, right? Like it was just so much. And I had a panic attack, didn't know what that was because I'd never had one. And then I, right. um, do a su- suicidal ideation. I'm not sure if you know what that is, but, um, and it's- it would be, it would be called suicidal thoughts for the, yeah. for, for the listeners. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like passive thoughts of wanting to die. And, sure. um, Cause I was in so much pain and I was like, this is scary. I think, you know, I didn't have a plan, but I was like, let's get the help we need. Right. Like let's just, sure. so I, yeah, I admitted myself and then I got my first diagnosis. 
What was um you you kind of mentioned a little bit, but what was childhood like? Where did you grow up, and and um what did you uh how were you in high school yeah. and, and into college? Yeah, so I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, and yeah, I um experienced some childhood trauma. So I think you know they studies. I wish I knew uh, statistics, but you know studies show that I have PTSD as well. Um, that people that have experienced those things just you know drink have a higher rate of drinking. Um, you know, but I was what they call like high functioning anxiety. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like in a high functioning alcoholic, same thing, you know, (laughs) um, I, I've always, so I grew up in a very strict Christian household, evangelical. So everything was (laughs) like, you had to be perfect and show up to church on Sunday smiling. So I kind of just, I learned to internalize everything and yeah. I just was happy all the time, like pushing everything down. And so I really believe at 25, it kind of all culminated. Um, sure. But yeah, I went to a small Christian college um, named Malone University in Canton, Ohio. Uh, got, yeah, got my bachelor's in journalism, but I was okay in college. I don't know how to explain it. I, I think for me, I just, it was survival mode for so long and you can only do that for so long. And denial was my coping mechanism. You know, um, but yeah, I was great running marathons, got my degree, you know, got a good job right out of school. Um, and then, yeah, some big life changes triggered my mental health. That's interesting because that's something that I'm, I am navigating, uh, currently is the through line between childhood, childhood trauma, um, family, uh, you know, my wife's been in Al-Anon for 12 years and she actually too ended up in a, in an outpatient facility, not even two years ago. And that's with a ton of tools and, and skills, never having experienced suicidal ideation. And, and she ended up, uh, there just really looking back, you know, suffering from undiagnosed depression mm. And, uh, you know, she kind of had a, her episode as well. And it was just, a, it was a shock. It was a shock for all of yep. us. Um, but the through line between strict military or strict religious households, mental health in the home, uh, hypochondriac or, or illness in the home, um, high, high, high perfectionism or very high expectations in the home that even when alcohol and drugs uh, or, or extreme mental health isn't present, a lot of the the trauma, the shame, the guilt, the through line that that um, that detachment and denial create like. The detachment and denial is like the, the, the coping skill, the coping mechanism for like all of this mishmash of shame, guilt and, and, and abandonment. And, and it never fails, Christina, that, you know, you hear someone that says, oh, we had mental health in the home or, oh, strict religion, you know, or strict military. It's it's uh, it's crazy how much it's all connected. Yeah. Um, did do you know if your grandparents or great grandparents had any struggles or challenges yeah. with alcohol and drugs or mental yeah, health? Um, so yeah, this mean this was something I struggled with. No one in my family drinks. Did not grow up in a drinking household. Not even once. Like it was not in my in my home. So I was special on that one. Um, but 
um, yes, mental health's always been a part of it. I had, my grandpa had bipolar, um, but that was, you know, it's just the time is they just weren't diagnosed. So we didn't, you know, I mean, heck, like I said, it took me to my mid twenties and I, yeah. So yeah, I think it's been pervasive in my family, but probably missed under or misdiagnosed. Yeah. And I also think that's interesting too. And I, and part of where we're at, um, part where we're at, part of the things in which I like to talk about on this podcast is, um, I think that the, uh, the, I, I grew up in the South and so we were, you know, it was the Bible belt and, and it was, um, um, you know, for so many people, church on Sunday, shirt tucked in, hair done, you know, I called the, the, the church culture, like the pre Facebook, <laughs> which yeah. is like, you know, the people go, oh, social media is is so pervasive and it's making everybody think that they got their stuff together. I'm like, we've been doing this since the beginning of time. Oh you know, how, how how often did you hear what goes on this house stays in this house? How often did you hear you better you better toughen up? Let's tuck our shirts in, put our put our get our hair done and let's show up as if nothing's going on. Meanwhile, granddad's suffering with mental health or bipolar we can't let anybody know what's going on in the house there's so much shame and guilt and embarrassment we don't say anything and now it's coming out that we're putting some labels on it with mental health and and addiction diagnosis but this has been going on forever we just haven't been able to talk about it oh my gosh i love that yes and it's funny you said that because so now it's good to know this we can really you can relate with the christian aspect of things um you know certain christian household but yeah i mean so that was us we just had a lot of things going on in my life right like a lot of trauma and you know domestic violence and 100 percent we would show up to church you know, be smiling and no one had any idea. We would host Bible studies, <laughs> you right. know? Yeah. So that I, I relate to that completely. Yeah. And I think too, uh, you know, I just being someone that's, I lived, uh, I've traveled quite a bit. I lived in the South. I lived in the Northeast. I lived in the Midwest. And the truth is, is that the same type of, things happen everywhere in the world for example it's not just you know um in the christian faith that people kind of button everything up and make everything look good i mean this happens all over the world it's not it's all over the world that people want to keep their you know what goes on in their house private it's everywhere in the world people have secrets and i feel like one of the things that is so important is that we hear people talk in like a real way, like to say, oh, by the way, I know I got a cool Instagram profile, but, you know, I struggle as well. Or, hey, I know that my relationship looks real great in the pictures, but me and my wife are in couples counseling and we really like that. It's it's this this talking about things that are authentic. So listeners can go, oh, me too. Maybe I'll reach out and ask for help. So um, it's just it's just so refreshing to hear you talk about it because so many people think they're alone suffering with the exact same thing that you're suffering. Yeah, absolutely. And this goes full circle to your question. That's why I opened up about sobriety so early because I was like, I cannot be the only one struggling like this. And especially like me, right, where I was the high functioning, smiling, you didn't see me hungover, you know, all the things. Um, right. Yeah, absolutely. 
you're totally right. And so for me, I mean, look, I met you on Instagram. Instagram has been life-changing for me. Um, and you're right. I have gotten so many messages. And it's almost overwhelming sometimes, the questions I get and just feedback. And, and I like it, but it's like I can't answer all of them, you know. But, yeah, sure. it's always me too. Or, oh, my gosh, you know. So that um, so you bring – so tell me about um, – so you uh, – Waited until you were of legal age. Uh, God bless you. Very few people make it that long to start drinking. Yeah. Um, and then you graduated school, got a job, uh, uh, ended up in, in treatment at 25. What led up to you deciding to uh, get sober? Um, yeah. So I, um, you know, everyone's different, right? Like I've heard because I'm an A, I've heard all the story, different stories. And, you know, I did wait till I was 21 because you hit on it. I went to the good, I went to a Christian school. Surprisingly, we didn't drink. I know that's hard to believe, but we really didn't. It was very, I know. I mean, I think there was some nights, right. But like nothing like normal colleges and right. um, Yeah. I just grew up in a super strict household, super perfectionistic was still kind of in that in college. And like I said, I went to a Christian school. So, um, yeah, so I didn't drink till I was 21, and it didn't get problematic until I, um, like I said, I started dating my husband, who's in the Navy, and I moved to Jacksonville, Florida, and if you guys know anything about the military or don't, it's a huge drinking culture. I mean, that's just what they do, um, and so, my, yeah, my drinking really progressed when I was 25, and I, yeah, and so, but I continued to drink heavily until then, and then I just... In January, I had a low. I, I kind of, I shared this a little bit with you. I had been drinking with my husband, left the house, kind of wandered around my neighborhood, <laughs> found another person that I did not know, um, and just drank till 7 a.m. and then showed up at a job, inebriated, and I came home, and I had taken some Adderall, and I've never uh, done drugs. That was just something I didn't struggle with, and I was like, um, yeah, I need some help. <laughs> Like, this is, I'm staying out till 7 a.m. I'm going to jobs that are very important to me, drinking, you know, uh, yeah. So that led Did you, do you think that it was easier for you to reach out for help because you had that experience with your mental health that it was kind of like, uh, I think this might be an, uh, uh, an issue? Because yeah. it's, I mean, to be honest, it sounds... You know, for someone to go, oh, I just did this thing. I showed up to work. I stayed up till seven. I think I'm going to ask for help. Like, it almost, it seems responsible in a lot yeah, of ways, yeah. you know? Like, so many people, like, they wait until they, but I guess, you know, having, you know, the experience or the low is, is, is one's low. But do you think that that past experience with mental health and maybe even knowing in the back of your mind that you were, drinking alcoholically kind of goes, you know what, it's time for me to look at this part of my addiction as well. Oh, 100%. Yeah, because I knew what it was like to get help. Absolutely. And I was working on the stigma around that. And I was like, you know what, I'm not really familiar with the sober space yet. But it has, I mean, people get help all the time. And I've done this before. If I've gotten through the mental health journey, I can do, get sober too. So yeah, absolutely. So did you do an outpatient treatment, uh, treatment situation for your alcohol or did you just start going to 12 step? Um, program? So I started doing 12 step back in my home of Norfolk, Virginia, and I was still drinking. So it called in and out of the rooms. Right. Um, yeah, I showed up to a one after drinking. I mean, I just, 
and that's also a reason I chose to go home because I was like, AA isn't even sticking. Like, what is going on? Um, so yeah, I came home in January, continued to drink, and um, and I was supposed to be getting sober. And I had a pivotal moment in AA actually where a woman had seen me come probably for about a month and I was still drinking and she knew it. Um, and she was like, when are you going to get a sponsor? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, everyone does that. I think, I don't know, but I was like dragging my feet. I'd never had one, didn't want one, whatever, but I knew I wanted to be an A. Anyway, she was just life-changing for me. She was like, not that I have to leave, but she's like, you know, if you don't get help, we can't do this alone. And I was like, I'll show you, you know, like I'll do it myself. And then, yeah. And then she, it just resonated with me and she became my sponsor and from then on, I, I don't know. It, you know how you just sometimes God brings people to your life. I don't know. But I heard what she said. I think it's the power of AA, right? Like I couldn't hear from my grandma who's sober or anyone else. But it took another alcoholic to be like, look, I did what you're doing. I went in and out of the rooms. I drank. Like you, you can get sober, but you're going to you have to face the facts like you're still drinking and you need help. Yeah, I think that's a uh, so many uh so many people have similar stories like i'll show you've gotten people you know moving in the right direction and even just down to the power of having someone say that stuff to you like uh, the the number of guys that i ended up sponsoring purely because i go yo you got a sponsor yet what are you waiting on why are you messing around why are you showing you know and and i was just kind of ribbing them a bit but you know, they, the story is similar. They said, wow, someone asked me about it and I was thinking about it. It was just that bump that they needed to take the suggestions that they already knew they needed to take, but, but hadn't for whatever reason. And so I think that's why the, the power of, of one alcoholic helping another or the power of community and support that, you know, we need, if, if we, if we knew how to get sober, we wouldn't be going to a group. We wouldn't end up in treatment. We would have done it a long yeah. time ago. So, yeah. Um, yeah. so that, that's a, uh, that's special. One thing I was, um, uh, maybe I'll think about it in a minute. I was, I was thinking of something based off of, of your story, uh, that, that I've forgotten, but what, um, so you start, so that person said, when you get a sponsor, let's do some work. Did you go back to outpatient or you just. So uh, I was inpatient. Uh, I was actually inpatient at the time. And or I'm sorry, outpatient. You. I didn't mean that. I was doing outpatient gotcha. while I was going to meetings. And these are why they're powerful. It worked for me because I had to get a sheet signed, blah, 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 saying I had gone, you know. Um, yeah. And it worked. It really worked for me. Um, you know, so yeah, I was an outpatient during the time and you had to go around a circle every day and say, do you have a sponsor? And, you know, I'm sure it was just a confluence of things, you know, where, yeah, yeah, I was under good pressure to get a sponsor. And then this girl, this woman had seen me come for months and was like, and you know what? She cared about me. I'm looking back. I remember honestly thinking, who the hell are you? Like, I don't know you, but she cared because she was like this disease. I've seen it. Like it gets worse. Like you, 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 anyway, yeah. So, what did you uh, tell me? What you were thinking and feeling as you were kind of? Oh, this is the the what I was going to say is whether it's with mental health or addiction, I feel like everyone is trying to navigate how little, how much, or how little do I actually need to change to get the pain to stop? In other words, 
most people, they're experiencing some level of pain, discomfort, anxiety, whatever that thing is. And they know they want to get rid of that, but they don't go up. Oh, I'm going to go to outpatient treatment or they don't go up. Oh, let me get on, you know, uh, some sort of prescription or up. Oh, let me just quit drinking. They always they're Everybody's trying to navigate like what little things can I change? Because it's almost like you can't fathom living a different way of life. Like, who would I be if I didn't have the alcohol or who would I be if I didn't have the prescription? You know, it's like everybody's trying to navigate. And I think that oftentimes that's what happens when we start going to AA, particularly when we're one foot in, one foot out. It's can I hear something that's going to allow me to, to control my drinking? How did you what were your how are you feeling as you were trying to navigate over that six months of of you know, going to meetings and drinking at the same time. What was it like? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Honestly, I think I had a little bit of delusion. I was thinking maybe I'll go to A on the side and just learn to cr- like control it somehow. Or yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, well, and clearly I didn't have the, I, look, AA to me was like people, all I knew at the time was people that, that have a problem drinking go. And so, yeah, I wasn't ready to, well, like I went before I thought I was an alcoholic, actually. I knew I was struggling, but I, I wasn't ready to fully admit it. Um, so yeah, I completely relate to that. I, um, yeah, and, and I relate to that too, because drinking had been part of my image, right? Like I, so I was a bar fly. I loved going to wine bars and breweries. Those were my two big things. And um, so yeah, it was part of what I did. So like, in sobriety, it's like, wait a minute, who am I? What do I even like? <laughs> yeah, like, how am I going to have any fun? Yeah, at all? <laughs> yeah, yeah totally, that's totally. Did you have any? Did you have any? Um, what's the word? Did it like? Was it uncomfortable? Like when you heard stuff in AA that resonated, and then go home and drinking. Like some people say that AA or you know twelve step ruined their drinking because they kind of knew in the back of their mind that you know they they were you know using against their will or whatever. Or was it kind of like you heard some cool stuff, but you just you know you're able to kind of control it after you left? What was it? Did you experience any of those feelings? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was, no, I 100% was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Like, I resonated with almost all the stories. And I don't know how. I mean, I guess that's the nature of the disease, right? But I I was still in denial. Um, But I think, you know, for me, that's also why AA is powerful is because it helps you see that you're not alone and there's a lot of people that have this same disease, right? Like you have the same, yeah, it was just, but I, but I still don't want to admit it. And I mean, it might be controversial to say this, but drinking was fun. I mean, of course there's parts of it that are awful, but like, yeah, I mean, we wouldn't keep doing it if part of it wasn't fun. So I just wasn't ready. Yeah. And like you said, I, I, I didn't know because I had been numbing for so long. I didn't even know what I liked or who I was. Right. What's your, uh, how's your family been with all this? What are their thoughts on, um, on your journey? Yeah. So my family actually at Christmas time, uh, this past Christmas kind of sat me down and did the traditional intervention. <laughs> um, right. you know, and it was you know. literally textbook. Right. And I obviously was like angry. How do you guys do this? Blah, blah, blah. Cause I, I was still in denial and, uh, I went home and after that, and that was when I had my low. Um, and I, yeah, I kind of ignored what they said 
you know, not, <laughs> can't be me. I can't have a problem. Um, yeah. And then I hit my low. I hit my personal low. And then it was like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, what, what did they say to you? Were they saying, we think you have a drinking problem? Yeah, it was just, was honestly, it was out of love. They were just, they were like, you know, we, you just, because I would, I, so I, people always joke about drunk texting. I love to drunk calls. I, <laughs> who knows? I could just walk out of the bar and like, my mom, my mom's, my ex-boyfriend's mom. Like, I've actually done that. And like, oh, I know. And so my family was like, you're calling us drunk like a couple times a week. And I was like, no, it's not that bad. Really? You know? And, um, but so long story short, they've been very supportive. They're very like uh, they, my husband suggested I move home and I was like, no, no, I can't do that. Uh, and my grandma was like, you know, I'm here for you if you want to do that. And it worked. So yeah, very supportive. Have your, um, has anybody in your family ever, uh, utilized, uh, support groups, like family support groups, like Al-Anon or, um, counseling yeah. or therapy or family therapy or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, definitely. My grandma's gone to Al-Anon a couple of times. Um, but again, like I got sober at a weird time. She's had to stop because there's no groups to go to and she doesn't understand Zoom. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, and then my parents live, I'm not as familiar with it, but they, uh, they live in West Virginia and my parents actually go to something called Celebrate Recovery. Um, very familiar. Oh, yeah. you know that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. My parents just started going to that. They are familiar with the 12 steps. My parents are, you know, they're Christians, so they, you know, love the God aspect and yeah. So they have been going to that weekly and they love it. I have to say that's, but, um, that's very, uh, what's the word? Not impressive, but comforting. It's really uh, wonderful to hear that because I often say that one of the most undiagnosed parts of addiction is the family because the person that the person that is struggling, the alcoholic, the drug addict, the person that's really struggling with mental health, like they're the most obvious one. Everybody can point the finger at that person in the family and go, she has the problem. He has the problem. See if he would change or she would change, then we would all be back to normal. But so many families underestimate how much they're contributing, how much they're enabling, how much they struggle with their own trauma, shame, guilt, and abandonment in their own background. And they've just been able to either hide it or, um, live under the delusion or denial that they are anything but normal. And so the fact that your family is actually doing some things that are, uh, you know, around the 12 step that involve the family, involve support, codependency, uh, that, that's a, That's impressive. That's a, yeah. that's a really good thing to hear. hundred percent. And yeah, I don't even know what, how I could not mention my husband, but yeah, my husband uh, decided to get sober with me, which has been huge. Um, he drank, you know, he, and abused alcohol. I don't think he's an alcoholic, but it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, he's joining me in sobriety from where, um, you know, we don't have kids yet. We want them and you know, if we can, and we just were like, we're not going to be drunk parents. Like, I don't want to have my kids see me like that. And we have that opportunity. What a beautiful blessing, um, to, yeah. you know, have that sober like I, I want to be sober for a while before I have kids so yeah he's been yeah super supportive that's nice isn't that weird that someone can go yeah uh you're gonna get so yeah I'll just stop and then they do this weird thing where they just stop uh, and you're like yeah. how did you do that uh, that's weird totally 
and he did it without AA, no outpatient. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding? That's why I don't think he's an alcoholic. Like, he's abused it yeah. for sure. But also he was drinking more because here's the thing, I would come home drunk. Like that's triggering for anybody. So he was like, well, screw it. Like I'll drink too. Anyway, yeah. you know, we were just drinking together and which happens, right? Um, yeah, but yes, he did stop. He's like, oh, I'm going to stop. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> good. Yeah, that's <laughs> good uh, for you. That's awesome. What, um, so uh, you bring up a good point. So we're right smack in the middle of uh, the COVID epidemic and uh, being ju- uh, that your entire 135 days has been pretty much under lockdown. How has that been? Uh, having to navigate uh, meetings virtually. Yeah. Well, I will tell you, um, I will say this. It, it, for me, actually, I can't lie. I got out outpatient. All the bars were shut down. And I was like, well, that's kind of nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, hey, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, oh, it was great. Because I was like, that was my temptation as far as I, I wasn't. Well, I wasn't at home drinker, but I'd come home after I was drunk. But anyway, um, yeah, it's been nuts. I... Um, yeah, I, I had I started going to a home group and I loved it. I found it. And then a month later, you know, they shut down. Um, and so, yeah, I have Zoom and I talk to my sponsor every day. Um, it's different. Right. But I also don't really know what it's like because I've only I'm so new to AA. <laughs> like, yeah. So, um, you know, I can't lie. I do like being able to be in my pajamas and not have to see anybody. And, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and honestly, my sponsor's awesome. She has me going to probably three or four meetings a week. And I don't mind. They're each different. Yeah. I love the leads, which if people don't know, it's just people sharing their story. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I go to a big book, which is, I, I, you know what? You probably understand this. I have all this lingo, right, that, like, I forget that people outside recovery and like what the big book, but yeah. yeah, that's just the book um, that the two founders wrote of AA. Um, yeah, so I do one of those, and I mean it's been good because, but I'm sure because I don't really know anything else. You know what I mean? I don't have much to compare it to. Yeah, what um, have you found it uh, difficult or easy to connect with people? outside of your sponsor or outside of the zoom meetings or yeah. is it so that is a really good point i oh my gosh i don't know what it is i'm an extrovert but i hate talking on the phone this is fine i like doing this but like she's giving me so many numbers of people to call and i haven't done it yet <laughs> now you're on the bubble but it could be your age i'm not much further uh, ahead of you but i'm almost 40 uh-huh. but there's there's some time um within maybe your age or, or age or uh, younger where people just quit talking on the phone. You yeah. know, because you had, I remember when text messaging came out and I remember uh, being able to remember people's phone numbers and having them written in my wallet and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you're kind of on the bubble age where it's like, why am I going to call on the phone? I'll just text them. hundred percent. You get these, you get these older people go pick up the phone, <laughs> make the phone call. I need to hear your voice. I got to be able to tell what's yeah. going on here. Yeah. When, um, when my sponsor told me I had to call her every day, I had a heart attack. I was like, this is going to sound really funny, but I was like, I feel like I need a drink just to call her. <laughs> like, I what? that was just a thought obviously but because I, I don't know it was just you know what the sponsor relationship's hard too because here's this person that you don't know out of anywhere right I mean you know them a little bit and then you have to just like open your life up to them you know like every day and I don't talk to anyone that much and so 
Yeah, it was it was hard. So no, I I gotta do that. It's on my to do list. So hopefully my sponsor doesn't hear this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that there oftentimes, uh, you know, the the model of twelve step recovery is a it's a design for living. Right. I mean, that's kind of the the uh, almost every there's been so many things in my life that I've been able to apply to my relationship that I've been able to apply to my uh, contributing to society that I've been able to apply at work that I learned in, in uh 12 step, yep. like, you know, showing up early, staying late, mm-hmm. doing service work without expectation, going to meetings every day, uh, you know, b- talking to strangers, the, the amount of, I kind of laugh because the people I hung around with the most, one of my complaints when I first got got sober was there's nobody in the rooms my age. And there really wasn't. And the people that I hung around with was, you know, Mr. Willie, he was an old, uh, he's probably close to, uh, which I was 21 when I got sober, but you know, he was 68 and that was like ancient as the old (laughs) black guy, you know, hustler was in San Quentin from San Francisco. The other guy, which was my sponsor, I thought he was ancient in age. He was only 36 and he was a Hispanic dude who used to run drugs for the Mexican drug cartel. And then Carl, who was also up close to his seventies, who was a, uh, he had been spent like 28 years in prison and was part of a white supremacist gang. And all of us, we all hung out together and, and, and I would have never picked them to hang yeah. out with number one. Yeah. And it, and um, I think maybe I had maybe a year of sobriety, but at some point, a bunch of young people came in and uh, they were closer to my age and I couldn't stand hanging out with them. It was the, I was like, I do not. And they all ended up going out and using, but I just, I would much rather, I much rather preferred being around these older people. And I learned how to be around them by calling, by showing up, by hanging out with people that didn't look or sound like me. And it's, it's the stuff that I've, it's, it's the stuff that I still use today when I get on the road, which I haven't been in a while, you know, I whip my phone out and I start making phone calls and not, I mean, I do like it and I am extremely extroverted, but my sponsor taught me that. Yeah. Like, he's like, you call five people a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go to a meeting every single day. Yeah. You go pick people up. I was, uh, and, and so that was, uh, yeah, just such great life lessons to help me stay connected because when I'm not connected, uh, Christina, I will back myself into a corner and I will, I will end up, you know, using people, places and things to change the way I feel and wonder how I got there. Yep. Totally agree. Um, yeah, so that's that's uh, that's interesting. So, how has your you, you mentioned a blog? Have you been doing a blog for a long period of time, or has it been relatively no, recent? No, so this is new. Actually, I have used Instagram obviously for a while for the mental health portion, but I actually used uh, my blog as a platform to share that I identify and I am an alcoholic, and so that has really been great. I mean, it's been a blessing. And I actually, so another thing I love to do is I partnered with a couple brands who are sober, like sobriety or mental health. And so I use that to showcase their products and their story because there's always cool stories behind, you know, people in the sobriety movement. So sure. What, uh, what kind of things are you blogging about right now? It's honestly just related to, um, alcohol, right? Like my recovery, what that looks like. Um, I have shared about some mental health. Um, I've shared about the suicidal ideation or passive, you know, suicide thoughts, because I think 
that's something that has a big stigma around it. Um, that's something people don't want to talk about um, or scared to. And so I kind of share like my thoughts on that and then how to have a conversation with someone about that. Yeah. That's awesome. What would you say is, um, you know, if you've got someone struggling or that's listening to this, that thinks, you know, maybe, and this is, I guess I kind of preface it with, you know, normal people never wonder if they have a drinking problem or (laughs) (laughs) that it doesn't cross their mind for for you folks listening. Um, and, and, you know, people that don't struggle with mental health, issues or suicidal thoughts or ideation never have suicidal thoughts or wonder if they have a mental health issue. So what would your recommendation to be to someone that may or may not be struggling or maybe have a family member that's struggling? What would be a good first step or, or something to do yeah. uh, to start the process of asking for help? Yeah, I think, the, you know, interestingly enough, I the way I started was online and I actually used Instagram to uh, two of the accounts I can think of are Lauren McCowan and Holly Whitaker. Um, And I was actually not sober when I read their books or newly sober. So I think that's part of it is just like looking online or finding connection online. Um, And especially in the sober community, I can share it if you want to put in notes later, but there are just so many, so many groups right now for sobriety. And then the other one I used was you mentioned it earlier, but NAMI, I love that. They have a peer-to-peer recovery group. Um, And so, well, they're not doing it right now. But um, yeah, NAMI was huge for me uh, in the mental health space. And my family, my husband went to NAMI meetings with me as well. Oh, wow. So I'm a big fan of NAMI. NAMI is the free local support group for mental health and families of people struggling with mental health, very similar to AA or NA. Um, And and I'm, I'm such a big advocate for being able to plug into free support group for hopefully nationwide worldwide is, is even better. But because Here's the thing. When we're struggling, yes, we need hospitals. We hope we have insurance. We hope we have therapists. We hope we have all these things that are part of the healthcare system. But if that's all you rely on, what do you do when you need more? What do you do when you can't afford? What do you do when you're traveling around? And and how do we build a foundation of support that isn't contingent on whether or not my doctor can get me in. Mm, And so that's why I'm so, you know, such an advocate for 12 step and groups like NAMI and, and others, you know, just other support groups. I mean, I was in South America for five months and I went to meetings down there. I couldn't even speak the language, but we went, I've been to meetings in Bali, Hong Kong, Singapore, France, England, Hawaii, everywhere that I've ever gone. Um, I would say 90% of the time I looked up a meeting and went and that's if you're only relying on the healthcare system, you know, you can't go necessarily knock on your therapist's door. You can't go knock on a, on a hospital's door and say, Hey, I need someone to talk to. Can I hang out? Right. But you can with a, with a free support group like NAMI or 12 steps. And I think, I mean, this sounds, I don't know. It sounds quaint, but like something that's been really helpful for me too is joining Facebook groups related to mental health and sobriety. Um, Because if you have a question, it's like a crowdsourced way to get help or get answered your questions. And also, because like we don't just want to put stuff out on Facebook, especially like that, right? Um, 
you know, and it's very specific. It's been helpful. And I've actually made friends. I've been, you know, we met on Instagram and I have friends on Instagram that I've met. Um, and we have a group chat going on and we literally check in with each other every day or every other day. And people share what they're going through or pray for me. I, I'm, I'm struggling right now. Um, and that has been life changing. No, that's a good, that's a good point. I, um, Christina, I'm so, um, uh biased towards group meetings and 12 step and whatever. Yeah. And I have to, and I'm just thinking of it now, but you're kind of, you're one of the first people to really uh, bring up the value of, of Facebook and Instagram and, and social media that, you know, there's t- sober motivations. One that I can think of um, there, there's a number of other podcasts uh, that, that people can, can look up, but I, I guess I just, underestimate the value of being able to pull someone up on Instagram and build community there enough that you could text and mm-hmm. say, Hey, I'm struggling. Can we have a conversation mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. So good. Thanks. Thanks for, uh, for sharing yeah. that. So, um, so the, uh, is there anything else you want to bring up? I'd like for people to know how to get a hold of you and, uh, if they want to reach out to you directly, but is there, is there anything else on your heart or any other thing that you want listeners to, um, uh, to know about? No, I mean, I think you covered everything. You're a great interviewer. Um, but I would say, you know, just like right now, I I have never been happier than honestly than I ever have. And sobriety is the best gift I could have given myself. So that's so that's so often awesome. And here's what I'll also say, too, because one of the conversations that I often have is, um, you know, I've been lucky enough. I got sober young enough and I've always been in jobs where them knowing that I was in recovery was never detrimental. Like I didn't I could never, I was in sales. I was typically customer facing. It was performance based. So there was never a fear for me that if anybody found out that I was going to either lose my job or not get a promotion. And I also uh, unknowingly um, talked about my sobriety like it was a superpower. I used it as a way to Again, this was not like all noble or any, I I just unknowingly was doing this, but was talking about sobriety and talking about principles and talking about, you know, um, all the, uh, all the spiritual principles that we practice, um, accountability and honor and vulnerability, all this kind of stuff. And so I look at having someone on in the workforce or on your team or working for you that's sober or or someone that's been through mental health and and, in mental health recovery as like someone with the superpower. Right. But my question has always been at what point do you share that? For example, I use new people in recovery. I'm by no means saying that new people with, you know, 60, 90, 120 days should be out there Pro, you know, pontificating about how great recovery is because you never know what's going to happen. Right. Number one, <laughs> um, but number two, at what point do they now go from being new in recovery to an absolute asset for your community? In other words, if people at work don't know you're sober, if people in your community don't know you're sober, how do they know who to reach out to when they're having suicidal suicidal thoughts or their spouse is struggling? Um, what are your, you know what I'm, I guess as I'm articulating this, 
do you think you putting sober on your Instagram as early as you have is a, is a, a level of accountability for you that, that maybe, I don't know, kind of almost like telling on yourself. Like I put it out there. It gives me just another level of accountability not to drink or what, what are your thoughts on does that make sense yes first like off yeah. i would say i wish we could get coffee because i feel like we could talk for hours because <laughs> you said so many things i'm like oh i want to jump in and da, da, da. um no but yes i honestly that was part of my decision right for me it was like i because i do i want to do this for a living i want to speak i want to write right um and so yes it was like okay christina like if you do this you're gonna you have followers you're actually impacting people right like that you have to take this serious um you know and so yeah absolutely it's a form of yeah accountability for me the other thing that i would uh say is um i think number one you've you've I knew people like you were out there, but I didn't, I hadn't actually had them, uh, had a conversation. And by say people like you, meaning people early in recovery that are talking about sobriety and are putting it uh, uh, on their Instagram and helping people, because I just didn't, most of the people that I come across, you know, have been in long-term recovery. Um, and so you've helped me because uh, I've said, I know there's people out there and I know it's beneficial, but what does that look like? Yeah. Number, you know, number one. Um, but the other thing is I would just say, um, make sure that I do think it's, I do think it's a level of accountability, but make sure that you don't get too worried about what other people are going to think of you struggling. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by mm-hmm. that is sometimes we put it out there. We say, hey, we want this extra level of accountability. But once we are in a place where people come to us for maybe help and direction and advice, then all of a sudden we don't think we can tell anybody we're struggling. And oftentimes mm. people will back themselves so far in the corner that they either relapse or even worse, they think the only way out is to commit suicide. Mm. And these are people with long term sobriety because they get they get so they get to a place in their in their recovery where they don't think that they can struggle mm-hmm. like they don't think that they can tell mm-hmm. people i'm ha- i'm thinking about drinking mm-hmm. or i'm having suicidal thoughts or i'm struggling myself cuz they're so used to other people asking them for help that they lose the ability to ask for help yeah um you know so or or, or they do kind of what you had been talking about before is they, they start pretending, they start drinking on the side, they start taking a little bit too much medication, you know, and then before you know it, they're spun out again. Yeah. And so um, I, I would just say, you know, just be conscious of that. But I can't, I can't, uh, I can't say enough that I'm, I'm impressed and, and you've done, uh, yeah, you've done well and, and, and we need to hear your message. Yeah, so thank you. For thank you. On. And you actually helped me realize it. I kind of knew, but like you helped me realize that, yeah, I'm an interesting voice in this space because for me, like I said, when you have someone that has 20 years or heck even a year, five years and you're five days in, you're like, Oh my God. Like, yeah. <laughs> how yeah. am I ever going to do it? And yeah, honestly, there's a lot of shame around it because you see all these people. Also, another one is that I like to talk about is, yes, I was drinking and going to AA. And that's something we don't talk about enough because that happens. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. A lot. I mean, 
yeah. It's like if people knew if if all you had to do was go to AA and, and stop drinking, then it would be a lot yeah. easier. But there's yeah. plenty of people that yeah. are drinking at meetings or doing all kind of crazy stuff. And we, we need everybody. I think, you know, here, look, it's it's um, I also know what it's like to judge yourself against everyone else, yeah. meaning even even like to have a year, a year is just an astronomically like just such a long period of time until you get a year and then you're like oh well i don't have two years and then oh i need three years and Mm. oh well if i could just have five so i've experienced it all the way through but i also don't want to underscore or underestimate the value that someone with a few days more than you can do to help Mm -hmm. it's like there's plenty of people out there that they don't have long-term sobriety Mm -hmm. in their communities and you know, their sponsor has 90 days Mm -hmm. and they're like, you know, how easy it could go. What they only got 90 days. That's not enough time, but they're helping someone. And you're proof of that. Like you're helping people, even if it's just directing them into a group or encouraging to get counseling or just making it kind of normal where they, you know, they kind of make those steps. So I think you're right. You're like, you're really, you know, I think you bring up, bring a lot of value. So thank you for that. How can people uh, find you on Insta yeah, or Facebook sure. or your blog? Tell us. So um, my Instagram handle is C Kimbrough one. And then my blog is just my first name, Christina C H my last name, Kimbrough, um, dot com. And spell Kimbrough for yeah, us. Thank you. Um, it's K I M B R O U G H. You're the bomb.com. Thank you so much for coming on and I uh, hope to uh, keep in touch. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right, Christina, see ya.